And we're back with CISN Radio with our producer, Dave Maple, and the honorary guest today, Omar. Omar, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, great, man. Um, goalkeeper coach for the Menace. Uh, I met you towards the latter part uh, of the season. Personally, I wish I would have met you at the beginning of the season, but it's about connections in that. Omar, just give us a little bit of background. I'm from Southern Africa, and you're from Northern Africa. I'm from Lebanon, which is the not do- quite, right. not quite, but <laughs> close. You're close. <laughs> I'll give you that. You do better than most. Um, so yeah, I was born and raised in Lebanon. Come from a soccer family. You know, my grandfather played for our national team in World Cup qualifiers. So goalkeeping was always in my blood and bones since I was a young boy. And at the age of 16, 17, I went to England and I started playing there at Northwest Counties and then worked my way up the non-league system, uh, competing at a, at a decent level. Simultaneously doing my exercise and sports science undergraduate degree. And upon graduating, I had pre- brief professional stints in Norway, Italy, and then I spent three years playing in the Saudi Premier League. And then after that, I came over to the United States about three years ago did a master's in sports management, did my coaching licenses, completed my USSFB license, and I've jumped on another master's degree with executive coaching. So and Executive coaching, which we're going to get to later on the show. You know, for this, this hour, we've got so much to cover in this hour, Omar. And we're going to go, one, we, a recap on the Menace season, your role at the Des Moines Menace, your experience over the, the period of the season. Um, unfortunately... The Menace got knocked out in the quarterfinals to Flint City on a penalty shootout. Uh, you can still record an unbeaten season, possibly. Um, but I tell you what, after we had a chat and coffee yesterday, I whipped up my phone and on Twitter, I see your guy, Makala, signing for San Antonio in the USL Championship. How does that make you feel? I'm immensely proud of him. Immensely proud of him. Um, it's nothing short of what he deserves. And, you know, if I improved at all as a coach this summer, it's because I had quality players. And most importantly, they were quality people. Yeah. So I was in very good company and uh, I owe them a lot. I owe them a lot. So seeing that news was possibly the best news of the summer on a personal level. Yeah, it, it must mean a lot. You know, you had, you had a number of goalkeepers there. Um, you know, you obviously had Joey as well. He was a, a solid goalkeeper. Difficult decisions to make throughout the season. But before we get there, let, let's just recap um, USL League Two, the menace season. The more more on the postseason side. I mean, we had, you know, we played Kings Hammer. We played against Flint City. Um, I mean, it, we, we there were just so many games in the season. Just give us your, your brief thoughts as a recap. I, I know the fans in the stands, as we say, um, increased tremendously. And I put that a lot down to what was happening in, in the front office with the, you know, the general managers, Lyle, Charlie, all the way down. You're looking at Sydney and Kai and, and all the work they put into it and the advertising. But what Charlie and Lyle did was the connection between all the clubs in the area and he brought them all together and bringing all those kids to come watch games, I thought was absolutely fantastic. And obviously, I'm looking forward to next year. I'm sure you are. But just give us a quick briefing and, and 
thoughts towards the latter, the postseason? Uh, obviously, a lot of disappointment in the end. Yeah, you know, uh, the way that the human memory works is the most recent memory is often the most impactful. So um, it's still a bitter taste in the mouth. But if you want to be a professional, if you want to perform at a high, high level, you have to be able to have the big picture. You know, there was a philosopher, uh, Hegel, who used to say the truth is in the whole. So the truth is in the entire journey. It's from beginning to end. It's not defined by one game or one shootout. Um, so I think looking me personally at the goalkeepers, they grew on every level, uh, tactically, technically, as people. I think the theme for this summer for the goalkeepers was accountability. And they grew immensely in terms of accountability, in terms of focus, in terms of professionalism. And it was such an enjoyable experience working with them because they gave me headaches. They gave me headaches. The competition was very, very strong. And that's what I wanted. I didn't want any easy decisions to make. I wanted my decision-making to be tested. And they pushed me all the way. They pushed me to be better. So looking at it from the growth point of view, I think the goalkeepers, uh, they can walk away from the summer with so much pride, so much achievement. When we, when we look at from when the goalkeepers first came in, um, you meet the goalkeepers from start to end. And I know we've discussed this, mm-hmm. but it's, it, it, isn't it amazing the development that's put through and... You know, you 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 told me that it's always what the goalkeepers take out of it and what they're willing to learn. It's up to them. Like, you know, we're the navigators, they're the drivers at the end of the day. And I get a sense of these guys latched onto all the information that you provided. Yeah, I mean, I gave them a book to read uh, 10 pages a day throughout the entire summer. The book is called The 1% Rule. So it's about how to harness your focus because most people say they need more time to work out, more time to run errands, more time to do this. You don't need more time. You need more focus. So there's a lot of important techniques that I feel like they needed to adopt in terms of harnessing their focus because the talent is there. They're incredible goalkeepers. The reason that the Des Moines men assigned them is because they're unbelievable goalkeepers. So now it's just about how do we focus? How do we approach the warm-up? How do we handle failure? Because mm. failure and setbacks, that's part of life, and that's something you have to navigate. So I think creating that culture of growth over performance was an important step to take because without growth, you don't get performance. So we wanted to shift our focus from results and more about, hey, are we improving? Are we getting there 1% every single day? And um, I th- the reason I think it was such a success is because they bought into it. So, you know, the credit has to go to them because it's their journey. It's not mine. I'm just the coach, right? I'm just the guy on the sidelines shouting. But the players, you know, they, they I think they have no regrets looking at the last three months. Powerful words. You, you've just come out with some really powerful words. And I, and I think that any player will latch onto that, that wants to go to the next level, Omar. And I, I think what you've just said there, I mean, you, you've captured the audience. You know, and your audience were the goalkeepers, and I think that is critical. You know, and that went throughout the whole season. You know, Makala getting injured. Joey was about to leave town towards the end. He did stay for a bit, uh, if I can remember rightly. And I, and I, that says a lot. And I, it says a lot because he wanted to be a part of it, but I think he wanted to learn more when you think about it and the competition that they had together and. The decisions you had to make. 
and going up to the coaching staff and then going, I think this one's, and then making that call. It's hard, but it's the wording. And we can get to that later. You know, I think there's a, a lot to discuss with that. Um, your role. It wasn't just the goalkeeper coach. It was, come on, tell us. Yeah, well, I, I adopted the, uh, the role of performance analyst. Um, and it's down to being competitive. It's down to my, my conversations with the staff. How can we get more competitive? What can give us an advantage over the rest? And it's something that I like doing. It's something I like watching games. I'm, I'm very analytical. I look for trends. It's very time-consuming. But again, if you want to win, you have to make sacrifices. So... It was a very rewarding experience. Uh, and that's a part of the game I enjoyed as far as the coaching on field stuff. But I, I enjoy analyzing a game. And I think when I started talking to you just to see if I was on the same page, you know, and there was bits and pieces that I was covering. And then you bring up something else. And I go, yeah, good point. Very good point. And it was a small detail about an individual player on the, on the opposition. And that's what counts. How much time did you put into the ana performance analysis? Uh, well, each report took about six to seven hours. So six to seven hours per game. I think, you know, but the biggest struggle was not the time inv and energy invested. It was choosing what to ignore and what to focus on. Because there's thousands of events that you can look at in a game and you can suffer from something called focalism bias where you think that one moment determined the outcome of the game. But soccer is a lot more complicated than that. It's a lot more complicated. And, you know, stats, they tell one story, but the truth is, and this is just through the research that I've done in stats and soccer, we still don't have a grasp between what stats are relevant and what is their relationship to winning. So I'll give you an example. You know, Team A versus Team B. And this is a real game. Team A had more possession, more shots. They lost the ball fewer times. They created more dangerous attacks. They, on every metric that you see on Sky Sports, mm -hmm. they were better, and yet they lost 7-1. And that game was the Germany-Brazil semifinal in the World Cup. So, Are you saying Brazil was better? Brazil, in, in those selective stats, were better, and yet they lost the game 7-1. So well, hopefully Hugo is going to be listening to this <laughs> later, because Hugo and myself went through some uh, major arguments on this. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Always in conflict, but sorry, carry on. Seven one, and and you, uh, from what the stats said, yeah, Brazil were better. Well, they weren't better; uh, yeah. they just weren't effective. You Correct. Know, yeah. um, so it's just about people thinking that you win by having more possession or more shots or more this. There's still no clear relationship between those selective stats that you see often and winning. So, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to pick out. Um, but that's, that's part of the fun. It's the seeking the truth. Is that because Luis was meant to be playing center back and he was playing <laughs> right wing back, center forward at time, leaving big gaps and the Germans exposed him? Uh, <laughs> what did you see different then? Let's look at Germany then. What did you see differently? What did they do? Well, so in this book that I was reading, um, you know, there's one thing that correlates a lot to winning and it's a stat called packing. So it's how many opponents do you bypass with a pass or a dribble? So if you are a goalkeeper and you play the long ball to your right wing back and you eliminated four people out of the game from the opposition, you've packed, your packing number is four. 
So the, the team that packs most opponents is generally the team that wins more. There's always going to be exceptions. But, you know, when I'm assessing the goalkeepers at UNC Charlotte, where I was coaching the last two years, and I'm looking at the goalkeepers, I tell them, I'm not just looking at your success rate, because that doesn't tell me anything. It just tells me that you haven't committed any turnovers. It's how effective are you at breaking the lines. And the goalkeeper that packs the most, that's the goalkeeper that plays. Because our game model, our methodology, we need the goalkeeper to be able to, to play with their feet. So it's an objective assessment. I can say, hey, your packing number for this game was 37. Your packing number was 24. You were 17. And you were 6. So the packing thing is relevant also for midfielders, for defenders. Um, and yeah, it's just it tells us a lot about how effective a certain player is. You know, it's, it's interesting because when you go down the levels and um, maybe to a lower level, when you talk about the goalkeepers and that, and they go, stats. Made 10 saves, but really the saves were shots from 50 yards yeah. out and they didn't really have to save it, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm a big one on watching the game live or ha having a tactical view on the laptop where you can break it down. That's what I prefer. Mm -hmm. Live, I, I don't go by stats. I hate stats because I wasn't at the game, so I can't see it mm -hmm. unless I get the video footage of the game. Then I can say, these stats are wrong, you know, that way. But interesting, goalkeepers playing with their feet. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's common language now. They need to play with their feet at the end of the day. Um, I saw that throughout the season at the Menace, supporting angles with the goalkeepers, looking either to play short if it was on. But the, I like the objective there, the packing lines, very interesting. Very, very interesting. You know, because teams today or coaches today are like, oh, they play very direct. The, the, the common word is they just boot it. Mm. And I say, no, there's a difference. Is it a tactical component to the game on breaking lines and looking for weaknesses in their back line, 1v1 situations on pace? Is this obviously something you look at or is it beyond that? It's beyond that okay. because it's really down to my conversation with the coaches mm -hmm. because what I tell the goalkeepers depends a lot on what the game model and the game philosophy is of the other coaches. So I can't have my goalkeeper build out if the other coaches want to play long and vice versa. If the, if the other coaches want to play and I tell my goalkeeper, hey, go long every time, then we're not in sync. So, and I've said this to you many mm -hmm. times and I say it to the goalkeepers, but you're only as effective as your partnerships. So if my partnership with my staff is not good and I don't know what they're asking, then I'm not going to be effective when I'm coaching the goalkeepers. So I think making sure that the lines of communication, which we will get into later on the podcast, but the communication between me and the coaches as well as the goalkeepers is important so that I know what is demanded. So it all depends on the game model, depends on the quality of players and the quality of the opponent because sometimes the opponent doesn't cooperate, right? <laughs> sometimes they press very high and you have to be pragmatic. So it's a game of improvisation. And that's why I love the game so much because it's the ex what what you're currently expecting of the opponent to come out, are they drop off? Next thing is they're pressing you. Well, you've got to adapt. What's the next plan? Um, communication is the word, I believe. So um, I think that's key. This is exciting stuff. I, I mean, I could go on forever. I could go into this video analysis with you. What, what you showed me was mind-blowing. You know, and um, you. I've got a lot of uh, 
education to do as far as that. Technology is not my um, forte. Um, as you know, even sending you directions, mate. But um, that's where I, I, I want to spend time. I want to learn more. The six to eight hours is unbelievable and the detail that goes down with it. And I think all, all round, even in the youth game, having a performance analysis is key. Having someone assigned to that to help out, I think, is just, it's needed at a higher level in the youth game as well, you know, when competing. But we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about executive coaching. I'm excited to hear all about this. We'll be back in about 30 seconds. Let me know when to come back in as well. Yeah? Okay, I'll just I'll just wait a sec. Good, yeah, good, You're good. Mm -hmm. All right, awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, you. I know you edited. Good. <laughs> it's really good, man. I, I'm. D this is like. Okay, I love it, man. Okay. And we're back, CISN Radio, and TV because it's a combination of everything with, with the commentary, but. Main focus here, Omar. It's great to have you. I uh, hope you enjoyed your tea break. I know you're into your tea. Um, executive coaching. Explain it to me, please. Yeah, it's an interesting journey that I started maybe a year and a half ago um, at Queen's University. So it's just basically executive coaching. So it's coaching leadership amongst the corporate side of the world. So Bank of America, Wells Fargo. And I just learned a lot through that. I was the only member in the class who works in athletics. Everyone else was a consultant. They're managers of a, of a, brand, a bank or, or whatever, whatever it is. So I, there was a lot that I could take from the executive side and take it into athletics. And this is where I found a lot of success working with colleges. I have another Division II college in Florida that's seeking to do a culture assessment. Um, so that's very exciting. Um, and yeah, it's just a, a good way to diagnose a culture and figure out how to evolve it to make sure that it's functional and it's performing at the level that it should be. So you're, you're going, right? You're going to present this to me. What's your first question? You come in and it's like, I brought you in. I want you to work with our under-19 boys team. Mm -hmm. We'll go just a, a, a youth organization, for example. Under-19 boys team. You come in, I'm the coach. How do you approach this? Well, my approach is I don't approach you. Okay. I spend the first four to five weeks observing That's you. That's me knocked out the way, isn't it? Huh? I, yeah. <laughs> so you spend how long? Four to five weeks just observing. Yeah, because there's three different layers to a culture. The first layer is the artifacts, and that's things that you can observe. It's what's written on the wall, What's written on the t-shirts? How do people behave? What are the team meetings like? Who's leading the team meetings? Are the captains having a say? All these questions, just looking at the dynamics, the body language, the behaviors. The second layer is the aspirations and the objectives of the organization. So what are you trying to achieve? What's your purpose? And then the deepest layer of, of any culture, and this is probably the most difficult to change, it's the hidden assumptions of everybody on the team. So I'll give you an example of what that means. If I go to a player, a college player, and I ask her, what's the first thing you feel when you make a mistake? And then she says to me, I, kn I get anxious because I know that I'm going to get yelled at. 
So that, just asking that question, tells me a lot about the culture. So a lot of it is determined through observation for a month or so, maybe more, it depends. And it's figured out through questioning. And with the questioning, we avoid why questions as much as possible because it, it attributes blame and people get defensive. So we ask what questions and how questions more what, than anything. What and how. Yeah. Okay. I want, you don't even have to mention colleges. And if you don't want, want to, it's fine. Sure. Can you give us an example of a organization that you've worked with? Um, and just give us some examples. You don't have to go through the whole layout, but an example of what you achieved uh, through some of this work. In, in, and I know you've worked with some top colleges, mm -hmm. NCAA, Division One, and you've gone through all the levels. But just give us an example of what, <laughs> what you did. I, this is fascinating. Well, to be frank with you, the level of achievement is solely down to the leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can... I can give them observations, I can give them analysis, but at the end of the day, it's the leader that steers the ship. So, um, but you know, the, the one thing I ask the coaches is, do the players know what you stand for? Because who you attract depends on who you are. It doesn't depend on your ambitions and what you're trying to achieve this season, right? Your company is solely based on the type of person you are. Are you curious? Are you a competitor? Are you a fighter? And do the players share those values? Because your objectives have to be identity-based. They have to be based on who you are. It's not based on what you want to achieve at the end of the season. It's not strong enough. It's not strong enough to link uh, players together. Or at least it's not as strong as having identity-based goals. And, uh, and you, you know, it's, it's a tough question to answer because if I, I ask the coaches, do you value this? Do you value that? Do you value hard work? And they say, yes, of course we value hard work. And I always ask the same question. Why do you not talk about it? After your observations yeah. over four weeks. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it, people jump to conclusions and they assume that players are on the same page as them. And I can tell you through my experience in North Carolina, that is not the case a lot of the time. Do you interview the players as well? I interview the players as well. Yeah. The whole team. Mm -hmm. and, and how much time do you spend per interview? What, do you bring the players in individually on an individual basis or as a group? Both. Both. So Both. you get different perspectives all the way through. It. And do you get familiar answers? Do you get different answers? Does it all, does it all um, collaborate to the leadership values? Um, how... What, what kind of results do you get? I, I'm fascinated by this stuff because coaches do say that. But trust me, I've been there. Yeah, we, do, we like to work hard. This is what yeah. we do. When you speak to the players, like what? You know, so, yeah, um, yeah just give us some examples maybe. Well, you know, I, if I go into one college environment and I ask the players, hey, what are the coach's values? What does he or she believe in? What do they stress and talk about every single day? And if the answers are consistent, if every player answers the same thing, then you know that the culture is functional. You know that the players are carrying the message of the coach. You know that the coach is being concise, is being very transparent with the players. Hey, this is what is important to me, A, B, and C. And then you have some teams, unfortunately, where the coaches are well-intentioned, but they don't communicate it enough. Because if you mention that you love discipline, right? Discipline is a thing. It's a trademark of who you are your childhood and all that stuff, but you mention it once a month to the players, the players are going to turn around and say, listen, this person is not serious about discipline. 
So the frequency of the message is just as important as the message itself. And I'll, I'll share an example with the goalkeepers at Des Moines Menace. You know, I, I was going to go I, into that as well. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, give us this. Because I called them out. Uh, well, I didn't call them out, but I asked them to finish my sentence for me in front of the whole team. And I said, goalkeepers, finish this sentence. You're only as effective as, and then all the goalkeepers said, partnerships. Because I say it every single day. I say that your relationship with your defenders is much more important than your relationship with me. Because I'm not playing with you. Mm -hmm. I'm not on the field. You need to have that trust, that vulnerability, that good communication, the togetherness with the people you're playing with. And so for me, repeating those values over and over and over, it has to be the point to the point where the players are like, okay, we get it. <laughs> we understand. Trust, trust is a powerful word, Omar. Powerful. And you've brought this up numerous times when we had coffee yesterday. Um, and it is. It, trust doesn't, it's not within two hours. It's not within a day. Trust is earned over a period of time. Um, and, and obviously the goalkeepers trusted you. Uh, and I think empowering those words, uh, not just that, you, you went in with decisions, but you allowed them to answer. It wasn't just a case of you're doing this. This is the situation. You, just give us an example of what, like, you had some tight calls to make. Just give us an example of some of that, if you can. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I, I think that's important, especially for our listeners, because coaching is not easy. It's not. No. No, I think, just before I jump into that, I think it's one thing that gets really overlooked, and that's emotional intelligence when you're making these decisions, because, you know, talking about tactics is easy. Talking about X's, X and O's is easy. Talking about performance is easy. But really, I, I don't like to use the word managing people because people don't want to be managed, right? So for me, understanding what type of personality you're dealing with is important. And there's one um, uh, DISC assessment instrument to figure out what your personality type is. So the DISC is dominant, influencer, conscientious, and steady. Mm -hmm. So depending on what personality type you are, for example, if I'm a dominant style personality, which I am, mm -hmm. and then you're a steady personality, mm -hmm. what motivates us is very different. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. So if I'm dealing with a goalkeeper who's steady, which I had this summer, and then dealing with a goalkeeper who's dominant, which I also had this summer, yeah. how I motivate them and how I get a performance out of them is very, very different. And because it's not managing players. No. no. Because I'm dealing with the essence of who the person is. you know, And, and it's not just what motivates you is different what makes you vulnerable is different. Mm. So for a dominant style athlete, for me, I hate appearing weak. Mm. I hate it. I hate appearing vulnerable or that I've lost control. That's my worst nightmare. Whereas, Have you? Uh, no comment. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking, of course. No, no. I, I, I had a fantastic experience. We'll but talk about with, that later. With yeah. steady yeah. personalities, yeah. their worst fear is conflict. So and depending on what type of personality you're dealing with, you have to understand that they have different motivations and different fears. So the way that I approach people with difficult decisions depends on their personality type. It depends on their background and who they are as people rather than what their status is in the team. Can you give us an example of any conversations that tough conversations you've had to make? Yeah, I mean, I, I had to drop one goalkeeper because I thought the other goalkeeper... 
and training was spectacular in the three days of the week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we had to make a decision at the end of that day. And I made the call to play one goalkeeper instead of the other. When do you make that call? Um, it kind of depends on the games, when the game yeah. is. I usually collaborate with the staff and the staff inform me of what is the cutoff time, what is the latest possible time that we can make a decision. So that communication with the coaches was great because I always knew where I stood. And um, they, they told you, okay, go ahead and do yeah, it. Yeah, okay. yeah. And the call, was it a call, phone call? Put. No, it has to be face-to-face. -face. Excellent. You know, Excellent. I, I always say to coaches, yep. if you're going to deliver news, especially if it's bad news, you do it face-to-face. -face. Don't, don't Trust. call. Trust, right? Trust. Okay. Trust. Trust. Accountability. And, and it's, it's not just – it's respect. Respect. Right? It's yep. respect. It's another big word. Yeah. And it's – you know, I, I don't really care much about agreeing with the players. Like there's a lot that we're not going to find consensus in. There's stuff we're not going to agree on. But if we hold space for each other and respect each other, that's more important for me. That's much more important. And, and tell us, uh, just give us an example. This is why we're doing this to a goal to the goalkeeper. You're going to drop. This is why we're doing it based on this. Mm. Um, experience is a big word as well. Like maybe the other keeper has a little more experience um, that might get you through the game. Or um, I, I know we spoke about this. Never say to a player when you're going to drop them for that particular game. You're a good player, but, and we spoke about this yesterday as yeah. well, uh -huh. it, because the player then can come back with a question, why are you dropping me? Yeah. You know? it, it causes confusion. Yeah. So you want to be as direct and as open and as transparent as possible. So my advantage in being a dominant style personality is i enjoy conflict i enjoy difficult conversations especially face to face it's important to a fault as well because yeah. whatever strength you have as a coach that can also be a weakness no matter what type of personality you are mm -hmm. it has strengths and weaknesses uh, everybody has that within their personalities yeah. right yeah. um talking about conflict uh, <clears throat> we we could look at the pros we could look at college um Jose Mourinho always said that he, he wants his coaching staff to challenge him mm. and and come to him and say he doesn't want someone to just sit there and agree. He wants that, and he likes conflict, but he wants somebody to challenge him as to, okay, why are we doing this? What about that? You know, um, And then we can talk about good cop, bad cop mm. in the personalities. I think that's very, very important. The head coach normally being the bad cop, disciplinarian, and the assistant coach being the good cop. What happens then? The players' reaction. Where, they're not going to go to the head coach, are they? They'll go to the assistant. Um, and, and that happens a lot. In, in youth football, in youth soccer, happens a lot, Omar. And I, <coughs> I've been there as well, you know, when the, the players too... And I always say transparency is and if you open up front about transparency transparency is come and talk to me and we can talk about it you know and, and it, it's important for the head coach any head coach at whatever level to have discipline and also acceptance that's important isn't it you know if you want to be a leader you have to leverage two opposite things at the same time you have to be a disciplinarian but you also have to be compassionate you have to be a visionary, but you also have to be practical. You have to be extremely confident in your abilities and the abilities of your players, but you also have to be humble. Humble and hungry, right? 
So being able to hold two separate ideas at the same time is like having a superpower. Because if you veer too much into confidence, you become arrogant, you become complacent. And then if you go too much towards humility, you're not going to be confident, right? So being able to do those two things at the same time is uh, it's an unbelievable advantage to have. So as a le that's why leadership isn't easy because you're doing things that contradict each other behavior-wise. And we talk about contradic contradiction. Um, if, if you're dictating to a player, and I shouldn't use that word, dictating, but <clears throat> if you're preaching to the players and the team, this is how we're going to play. Um, you want to gain their trust. You've just got your team. This is your philosophy, your values. You, every day you drum in them in. And then what you're teaching the players and they go ahead and do it and you go, what are you doing? The, the player's going to turn around and say, but this is what you taught us. Mm. So which leads me to the trust piece and accountability. I think accountability is uh, another word that, you know, these words are powerful, mm. you know. Being accountable for your actions, and not just for not just as a a player, but a coach. Uh, you've been in those situations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with with Joey this summer, you know, we uh, we played him in one game, and I think there was a mix-up, miscommunication between the team that led to us conceding a goal. And, you know, at the end of the game, I, I went up to him when the game was over and we won the game. But that moment soured um, what could have been a clean sheet. And, you know, when I came up to him, I tried to take responsibility away from him. I tried to take responsibility for it. I'm like, hey, listen, that goal is partially on me. Maybe we don't work on that enough in training mm -hmm. and it caused confusion. And he turned around and he said, no, coach, that's on me. It's not on you. It's not on the defense. It's not on this person. It's not on that person. I'm responsible. And then he said that in front of the entire team. So, you know, he, he did a lot of things technically and tactically in terms of his performance that were unbelievable for his age. Mm -hmm. But that moment, the personal accountability, that's the reason why he has a fantastic future. He took ownership for a mistake instead of hiding. And that will lead to a lot of positive behaviors in his future, no matter at what level. You can be the best goalkeeper in the world. If you don't hold yourself accountable, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're not going to compete at a high level. You're not going to last. The, the score of that game when he conceded was? 4-0. 4-0. And then the, the game ended 4-1. And the, the opponent's goal was scored in the last 10 minutes of the game? Yes, last 12 minutes, yeah. Normally when fatigue is and complacency because of the scoreline. I think it's a very, very competitive nature that Joey had come out. They've, he's just won the game 4-1, mm. but he's not happy with how he conceded that goal, and he's taking the blame for it. When he wanted the clean sheet, but I think it's probably him personally how and why and, uh, the situation. Yeah, I mean, the truth is we, w we concede goals and we score goals for the same reason. It's because everybody's responsible, right? The healthiest organizations are the ones that share responsibility. I've seen coaches who, when they win, they take the praise. Take and then the when they lose, they, they say, oh, you let me down. You didn't do well. You didn't work hard. Uh, but again, if you want to be at a high level, and I've had the pleasure of meeting people at a high level. You know, at 16 years old, I met Ryan Giggs, Patrice Evra, and Mikael Silvestra at Carrington and Manchester mm -hmm. United. And mm -hmm. the key word was accountability. And everybody was looking in the mirror before looking at others. So You talk about some players that came through the Alex, Alex Ferguson era. 
that were mentored by Alex Ferguson. Brian Giggs was men men mentored by <laughs> Ferguson when he was 17. You know, um, Patrice Ever, Ever. I mean, we're, we're talking about some big names there. And I saw something on Patrice Ever, a, a great example. And I think it, trying to get the message through at halftime. And you might have, you've probably seen this because he used to do it with, he, he, he did it with players that were strong mentally. And mm. I believe Patrice Ever was one of them, um, French international. And um, he had an unbelievable first half. Mm. But Ferguson wanted to get a message through to Nani, I believe, who was couldn't take the criticism. He would lose him second half in directing the criticism at Nani. And he had a go at Patrice Evra. Uh, and Evra, everyone was looking around at Evra going, what's going on here? The guy, he hasn't done anything wrong, you know? And I think Patrice Evra tried to question him, and he didn't. And he went out and had a great second half. But Nani's game changed. Like, for example, you're holding on the ball too long. You're dribbling too much. Nani's game, isn't it? So the message got through to Nani about, uh, okay, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. So his game changed. Is that, it's a psychological thing at the end of the day, you know, trying to get a message through to a player. And, and we spoke about this as far as an old school mentality mm. to how it is today. Um, and you've probably had the old school mentality as well as far as coaching. Would I say, am I right or wrong? Depends what you mean by old school. You know, I, I, I'm just someone who is extremely curious at the end of the day. So I'm, I'm someone who I, I need to figure out what the best answer is, and I'm never satisfied with the answer that I have, if that makes sense. I will say there's this one moment that stood out this summer it's funny that you, Justin, you, you meet people for five minutes and they leave a lasting impression on you. Mm -hmm. There's this young lady that came to watch us train. She, uh, her name is Casey. She coaches for Casey Smith Baker. College. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just noticed her off the corner of my eye. She was sitting by herself taking notes. Mm -hmm. And I figured out that she was just here to learn. She was traveling to different teams, different mm -hmm. colleges to learn. You know, the one thing I'll say about that, if she keeps that that mentality up, she's going to have a very bright future because the most successful people, the n one thing, in my opinion, it's mm -hmm. just my opinion, the one thing they have in common is that they're curious. Mm -hmm. They're never satisfied with where they are. They want to learn more. They want to find out what's a better way of doing A, B, and C. Maybe someone else has a better answer than me. So mm -hmm. it's moments like that that make me think very highly of a person. And, you know, I the goalkeepers that I had in UNC Charlotte, you know, Brenna, Emily, Emma, uh, Saskia, all curious, all ask powerful questions. And they used to say, Coach, we're, we're sorry for bothering you with these questions. I'm like, no, 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 no. I want you to shower you me with questions. Was that the, the, the rub-off effect, though? Because um, you've captured you, – when you talk about capturing audience, you've captured my attention. It, 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 I, well, I think, you know, I think people mimic three things. They mimic – the close, the powerful, and the many. Those are the three people that you copy. The mm -hmm. close, yep. family and friends, yep. co-workers. Mm -hmm. The many, what's popular, and the powerful, people that are at the elite level. So if you're hanging out with somebody constantly who prioritizes growth over performance, that 
looks after you, that holds you accountable, that holds you to a high standard, mm-hmm. I think you're naturally going to do that to the people around you. And and again, this is advice I give to all coaches, but if you want, if you want leaders in your team, you have to develop the leaders that you have in the team. Yeah. You can't be solely responsible for it. And I think, you know, in America... You have Marvel movies where the superhero flies <laughs> down with his cape and it, it's him against the world. But the real leadership doesn't work like that. It's Leadership is a collective effort. It's a collective effort because I think what Charlie and Lyle did, Kai, Sydney, everybody, you know, leadership is not a one man, sh- one man or woman show. It's It's a collective effort. You're only as effective as your partnerships. Is that right? Uh, oh, yeah. There you go. Back down to par- partnerships and using strengths. When we look at that, Lyle, Charlie, strengths. They've bo- both got different types of strengths and all the way through. Now, strengths and weaknesses. Um, I- I'm always one where with players, they, they, they want to work on their weaknesses technically. Uh, and sometimes it's a great question. Mm. Would, uh, I'm trying to get this right here because I, I've done this before uh, and I've often said, listen, the, these are your strengths and I, I really want you to focus on those strengths, make those strengths better, develop those. Am I going in the wrong direction here or do I need to change that mindset? You can tell me straight up. I think it depends on the type of player you're, you're working mm. with. I think it depends on a lot. There's many different schools of thought on this. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not a, an authority on this subject. What I like to do is instead of focusing on weaknesses or focusing on strengths, I focus on the demands of the game. So if you want to commit a certain action, a certain behavior in a game, we have to replicate that in training because that's the requirement, especially at the pro level. You've got to do that doesn't matter where it is on the list of what you excel at. That's the requirement. So that's what we focus on. And Mm -hmm. training, in my opinion, is about recreating success. So you want the level of success to be a 7 out of 10. And -hmm. then the 3 out of 10, that's the part you coach. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't want to, you don't want training where they succeed 10 out of 10 times because then they're not learning. They're not out of their comfort zone. They're not being pushed. Yep. And you don't want training where they only succeed two out of 10 times because it's too difficult. They become frustrated. So yeah, about six or seven uh, successful reps out of 10. And then the three where they don't succeed, that's where we focus on, Hey, how can we get the best out of that desired behavior that we want to see in the game? So whether it's a strength or a weakness, if it's okay. something that you see in the game, it should be focused on. Details. And, details and details is 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 a word that gets neglected and it's um when we look at what you've done in performance analysis and we, you, you showed me this yesterday and it was one point mm. it was it was goals when you met with individual players and it was the game you beat detroit uh, trying to think yeah. now you can run me through yeah, this yeah. giving too much information to players is too much for them Mm. Talk about that particular goal with a center forward, I believe, that you yeah. were working with. You showed me the clips, and it was one clip, but you had hundreds of clips. Yeah, I, I think, you know, with him, he's a striker. F- he was a striker for Stumptown Athletic. Mm-hmm. Very talented boy, very hardworking. But again, I go back to it. What is the identity of the team? Mm-hmm. And I learned something from a sports educator based in Colorado, Esme Gullick. Um, she's an emotional intelligence educator. And she taught me something really valuable. She said, you really have to be careful what you're praising. 
because if you're someone that values hard work and you value gritty, tenacious fighters, mm-hmm. then that's what you have to praise when you see it in training, like a collision with a 50-50 or someone mm-hmm. tracking back 50 yards. Be wary of the very specific moments that you are praising so that the players get the hint and then they say, oh, okay, this is what the coach values, so this is what I'm going to replicate. Moments. Moments. So that's mm-hmm. the video that I showed you of, yes. of Elliot tracking back 50 yards, winning the ball off the Detroit player, and then immediately going to goal. And that's the moment that I showed him. I'm like, listen, this is the identity of the team. This is who we are. We're fighters. We're competitors. And that's why I think we had one of the best defensive records in NISA is because you had 11 players that bought into the head coach, Rod Underwood, Mm -hmm. and his overall philosophy and his values being a one percenter, working as hard as possible for the team. The collective was more important than the individual. And that's something that Rod said every single day every day every, every day. day in training every, it, and so. we put it up in the locker room but more importantly than look at putting it up in the locker room is actually doing it Do, yeah performance yeah uh, and you met with Elliot prior to uh, to to the clips and that mm-hmm. and, and asked him for some goals what do you want to do better or what's your I'm trying to remember this it was a what do you want to achieve or, or where do you want to improve or how do you feel you play? What's your, what's your strength? Um, and <clears throat> tracking back, I think, was one of the pieces yeah, there possibly? I think uh, the conversation was more, and, th- and this is uh, consistent with my time at UNC Charlotte, it's con- with my time at CSA, with Providence Day High School, with every place that I coached in. Um, it's less to do with what I think they think Mm-hmm. And it's more to do with what we want to see. So when he says, what can I do to get into the starting 11? And I'll tell him, listen, this will help your chances. And I show this moment to him of tracking back and helping his teammates. And this is based on the, the values of the head coach? Based on the values of the head coach. Because you've observed the, all of this. Because yep. he, he yep. you know, we had receipts. We knew how many times uh, individual players track back. We, we, we track all of that. We were detail-oriented. And, you know, that's, again, not just at Stumptown. It's at various mm. colleges, clubs that I worked in. And there are certain behaviors that I personally love and I want to see them. And they're non-negotiable. They're non-negotiable. That's a direct message. It's a direct it, message it's, and it, it's transparent. It, very transparent. It, it's not sugar-coated. It's not nothing beaten around the bush. It is, this is it. No, and I, I told the goalkeepers at Des Moines Menace on the first day that we met. I said, am I the best goalkeeper coach you're going to get? Absolutely not. Am I the most demanding? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I told them I'm going to demand the earth from you this summer. I'm g- I want to give you tools that you can use after the summer is over. I want Your individual development is just as important to me. And when players feel that you're invested in them, that you're willing to fight for them, you're willing to protect them, you're willing to push them out of their comfort zone, they, they will follow you. They will follow you. And I was blessed. I was blessed with amazing people this summer. So um, coming to Des Moines Menace was probably one of the best decisions I made since coming to the U.S. They invested into you um, from the start. And training started at 10 o'clock, right? Yeah. What time did they arrive? Well, no, they, <laughs> for the most part, <laughs> they were on time. Yeah. It's just, uh, uh, and look, I have, I have to put my hand up because I can't ask the players to hold themselves accountable if I'm not willing to be held accountable as well so you know there was a a period where a a small period of time where they would come in a little bit later than I liked and 
that led to me making a mistake, but the mistake was 100% mine. Accountability. I, 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 yeah. I brought in the yeah. coaches and the goalkeepers. Like, listen, when I make a mistake, it's 100% on me. So I want to apologize for miscommunicating about the training times. And then, you know, I, I said, does anyone want to say anything before I move on to the next topic? And then the goalkeepers were like, yeah, we appreciate that. We just didn't understand A, B, and C. And I was like, okay, no problem. My mistake, my fault, mm-hmm. 100% on me. And then the second point was to talk about the punctuality mm-hmm. because, again, just my opinion, mm-hmm. but perception is more powerful than the truth. So the truth, and I, I know this because I know the goalkeepers on a personal level, mm-hmm. they are extremely serious, extremely professional. They are so demanding. But the perception changes when they are the last ones to come to training on a consistent basis. So it's the perception that I wanted to alter. The mm-hmm. truth is something I already knew. I knew the truth. I knew mm-hmm. that they were amazing goalkeepers, mm-hmm. amazing professionals, amazing people. But the perception amongst the team was that, oh, they come in at 9.40, 9.41. And that's one thing I said to the goalkeepers, that you have amazing futures on and off the field, and you are going to be leaders. And you're going to know what it feels like when you are responsible for somebody, and then they show up a little bit later than expected on, on numerous days. But thankfully, they bought into that message. And again, I think that little conflict strengthened our relationship because, again, the truth is that they are hyper-professionals, hyper-competitive, and they have big demands of themselves. And that's why they were successful. Uh, that says a lot because then they were there punctual, 9.30 every day. And I know you there early. And goalkeepers, uh, warm-ups at game day, they, they're always out there early. It doesn't matter what level. Normally, they're out there mm-hmm. b- before the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noticed you brought the goalkeeper out after halftime. You were always talking to the goalkeeper. Your first reaction was you walk across and you go- approach the keeper. And I always saw whoever was in goals would react right away, come straight to you, and you'd have a quick discussion. And then before the lads come out, you were out there with the goalkeeper. Quick warm-up, get yourself ready. Um, it, it says a lot. And I believe that happens at the higher level. <clears throat> Let's going back into executive coaching. Mm-hmm. Do you work with numerous sports? Just soccer? Is there any specific that that you work with? Lately, it's been just soccer. But I think these are rules that can be applied to any organization. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's it's it is the number one thing you have to do is you have to establish a cohesive leadership team. Mm -hmm. Because if the leadership team is not cohesive, if they don't communicate, if they don't sync up well, if they don't have the same goals, then that's going to transmit to the rest of the organization and you're going to start subtracting from the organization's strengths. So making sure that the leadership team is cohesive and they trust each other and they have the same goals. And then, you know, steps two, three, and four is about communication. It's about reinforcing clarity. What is important here? Mm -hmm. What are we trying to achieve? What is our purpose? What is our identity? And how can our behaviors day-to-day reinforce that identity? But it goes back to communication. And the best coaches in my life that I have ever seen, you know, at the pro level, you know, in Europe, in Saudi Arabia, there was a lot of them. They reinforced their messages constantly. They took nothing for granted. They took absolutely nothing for granted. And I I had a coach... To this day, to this day, I remember the mantras that he used to tell me, and yeah. um, it's something that I carry with me when I'm coaching. Was he the goalkeeper coach, or was he the head coach? He was team? the goalkeeper coach, Craig Ellison, um, who played at a very high level yeah. in England. Yeah. Played in the championship. Yeah. Played, yeah, he's he's an amazing guy. Only six years older than me, so mm-hmm. I kind of saw him as an older brother. Mm-hmm. 
but I took away some very valuable experience that when I made a mistake, he was always there for me. And so I mm. promised myself that that would be that type of coach because no, no player is making mistakes on purpose. Mistakes mm -hmm. are part of life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, I, I hate to get philosophical, but there's a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is inevitable. We all go through pain, whether it's rejection, losses, whatever it is. But suffering is optional. How much you choose to suffer when you experience pain is 100% down to you. And I can deal with any emotion, like yeah. with mental health issues, I've suffered with depression, with anxiety, with sleeping disorders, especially when I was a professional player. But the one thing that I don't tolerate from my players is self-pity. So pain, pain, is, pain is inevitable. You're going to go through that in life. Yeah. But I don't accept suffering. Do you tell the goalkeepers this right from the start? Day one. Day one? Day one. They have to know who I am, what my values are, and what I cherish. And I got I to give it to them. They, they overachieved. They made me a better coach. Mm. They were phenomenal. Are you, are you okay with, because you mentioned you went through all, the, all, all of these uh, situations when you were a professional player. And why was that? If you don't mind me asking. No, of course. Um, I know it's sensitive for mine. It's tough. We've all been through it. But I, I like to get different views on this. Um, I know it's in depth. You don't have to go deep into it. But why? Please. You know, that's the million-dollar question. Um, I think, you know, traveling a lot since the age of 16 didn't help mm -hmm. being on my own. And I'm someone who's very close with his family, very close with my friends back home. Yep. So yep. being homesick, being away from friends that I grew up with from my parents was, was not easy at all, at all. But again, uh, an experience is only valuable if you learn from it. So when people, you hear this often here, I've noticed in the U S you hear this often that failure or setbacks make you stronger. No, only when you learn from it, does it make you Embracing stronger? Embracing it. Only yeah. when you embrace it and you accept it and you can actually learn from it, will it make you stronger? Failure doesn't automatically make you better. No, you've got to be able to have the, the awareness and the the patience to be able to learn from it because everybody makes mistakes, but the people that learn from those mistakes, they reach the top 1% in, mm -hmm. in their fields. They're able to learn from that failure. So I ask the goalkeepers at the end of every training, what was your takeaway today? What did you learn about yourself? What was challenging? What can you do better tomorrow? We, we had self-reflection sheets, the players, and I would talk together. Every day. We'd go through video. Not every day. Maybe I'd say maybe twice a week. Twice a week. Maybe yeah. twice a week, yeah. And you'll go through the video analysis with the goalkeepers. And, again, the communication is key because – and, again, I'll use Joey as, as another example mm -hmm. here. But, you know, Joey would text me and he goes, hey, coach, I just want you to know that just because I'm not talking and training doesn't mean that I'm not listening. I'm just a silent observer. I like to listen a lot. At least he told you that communication – and now I know. Now I don't jump to conclusions. Now I'm like, oh, okay. That's just Joey's nature. He's like that. That's okay. So the communication is the essential piece. Knowing up front. It, again, everything comes back to communication. Introvert, extrovert. And introverts, it's hard for them to come forth. You know, like, I, this is how I am. It, it's a difficult situation. But obviously it's that trust. They knew who you were. As, as the coach, Omar, and transparent and open. And I think that that's important. Um, your product, all right, because I know we're running out of time because mm. I think uh, football is coming in next, American football. But you, your product at any level, club, youth club, 
college, professional, USL2. Every level. How can people get a hold of you? I mean, do you have a... Email address, website, phone yeah. number. So my Twitter is Omar Soccer Coach. That's Thanks for letting me know because I still can't find yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be sure to share it. I'm not that popular. I'm not as I'm not as popular as as, as some others. Uh, and my email is badran, which is my last name, badran o nine nine at gmail dot com. And those are generally the two best ways to to reach me. And I'm always happy to talk with coaches about how to set a culture, how to achieve your, your, your aims and your objectives. I would just encourage coaches to go a little bit deeper than just what you want to achieve at the end of the season. Yeah, because I, uh, I'm infatuated just from this. Uh, and listening to you, it's so in-depth. I know there's more from what I saw mm-hmm. in your presentation to me yesterday, um, which captured, it captured me. We could have gone on for another hour until we got kicked out of the coffee shop. Um, but it was amazing. I know we're going to have more conversations about this um, be- because I'm embracing this. I'm learning. Uh, I, you know, we learn every day, don't we, Omar? Mm-hmm. Hopefully one day you'll learn something from me um, and other coaches and, and players and all the way through. There's so much involved. I know we can go on forever. We've gone over an hour and I could go another two hours, to be honest with you. Omar, it's been great having you on. Um Hopefully we can do this again sometime. And you're in Des Moines for how long? Uh, I'd say another two months, approximately. Yeah. Any any words, phrases you want to leave the audience? Because um, I know we're going to get some listeners on this for sure. Uh, any words, powerful words that you want to use just to leave the show? What What's your word of advice, I would say? Wow. How much time do we have? Uh. <laughs> Well, give us, I tell you what, give us this one example. We spoke about you, you had a very good coach in Saudi Arabia at Al Nasser. Mm-hmm. All right. A very, very, it's a brilliant league there. All right. Um, obviously, a lot of financial backing in the clubs. Mm-hmm. You had a head coach and he empowered the players in one session. Tell us about that because I've never heard this before. And I thought this was yeah. a <laughs> Go on, tell yeah, us. Yeah, you know, one big theme from him, and his name is Raul Canida, a top-class coach. But, you know, he uh, – I'll, I'll never forget to this day, but, you know, he would say things like, if you want to play for me, you have to be brave. You have to be brave. You know, like win or lose, you have to be brave because that's what I value in life. And so as players, and this him and his staff said it every day, and I'm like, okay, that's what we got to be then. But yeah, he uh, during an attacking set, we're working on attacking set pieces, and uh, he told us, "I'm going to time 15 minutes. You have to come up with two attacking set pieces for us." Embracing the uh, empowering players. uh, Yeah, he gave us that freedom, and the fact that he trusted us so much with something really important uh, was unheard of. So when he said, "Hey, you've got 15 minutes, two attacking set pieces. See you in 15," and him and his coaches were just on the sidelines watching us scramble our way to try and figure something out but uh, you know it's leadership doesn't it it's leadership (laughs) it's leadership you know leadership is not about you You, it's never about you it's about what you can give to others it's about your influence and your effect on people it's not about your achievements as a leader it's never ever ever about you i'll give a quote on that when pep guardiola was at um barcelona and um he was asked like, 
So, so what's your greatest achievement here? You know, and they were expecting him to say cha- European Championships, mm-hmm. uh, league titles, this cup. He said, getting these two players into the Spanish national team. Mm. And he was happy about that. Like we spoke about at the beginning with Makala. You know, now he's at San, San Antonio. And hopefully that's just the start for him. Yeah. I mean, I texted him today and, and he got back to me and, and I told him, listen, you're just getting started. This is just a, a warm-up phase for your career. I, I'm going to still demand a lot from him, even though I'm not coaching him anymore, which is kind of bizarre. But <laughs> I, I expect big things from him. So, Fantastic. Uh, Omar, like I said, we could go on forever. It's been great having you on the show. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be more to this, that's for sure. And, and um, you know, definitely, we're we're going to be chatting quite a bit. We could go on forever. As part as part of the CISN radio and production, today's show was brought to you by CISN Radio. Thanks to our producer, Dave. Excellent work. He's just giving me the nod with his earphones in, and that's it. Uh, and <laughs> and then obviously to the executive director, the owner, Peter Tarpey, um, who's not here today. I, I normally see him in the gym, though. I'd like to thank everybody and, and obviously the listeners. And we're looking to put on another show in two weeks' time. Um, hope you enjoyed the show. You know where to go if you're looking to contact Omar. This will be out on Twitter, everywhere, you name it. Peace out. See you in a couple of weeks.